Mark, you know fascinating people, but perhaps more fascinating is how you know them, how you're so connected to them. So can you tell me how you know Hamilton star, star of now stage and screen in his own right, Anthony Ramos? I have often been in the right place at the right time, and this was one of those situations. I had just uh, been diagnosed with cancer, and I was trying to figure out how to become less depressed about the whole situation. And I dug into my brain and said, the one thing I always wanted to do but never did was uh, be on Broadway. And I thought, well, you know, the odds of that happening are slim and none, but unless you stick your toe in the water, it's not going to happen. I had met a guy in a bar, and this sounds like a story, <laughs> in uh, in New York. And uh, the restaurant, which is no longer in existence, was called Angus McKindo's. And it was owned uh, partially by uh, Mel Brooks, uh, Nathan Lane, and uh, Matthew Broderick. Nice. And on the third floor, was all uh, were all um, Broadway people, and you couldn't get up there. Uh, they were really good about keeping folks like me out of there. And um, I finally talked my way up there, and you know, was sitting in the presence of the people I just spoke and, and many other Broadway types after uh, the shows were over with. And I'm at the bar one night drinking uh, by myself, uh, sort of listening out of both ears to what was going on. And a guy came up to me and said. Um, I could have been you. And I said, what does that mean? He said, uh, I auditioned for Double Dare, but I didn't get it. And I said, well, what do you do for a living now? And he said, I produce Broadway shows. And I went, well, that's a cool job. You're just the guy I'm looking for. And he said, why is that? And I said, you know, I'm just getting over uh, or going through this cancer thing. And uh, the one thing I always wanted to do was be in theater again and maybe Broadway. Can you help me? And he said, yeah, maybe I can. So he said, give me your number. And, and a few weeks later, he called and he said, I just took over a uh, theater that's doing summer stock in uh, Long Beach Island, New Jersey. We're doing Grease. Uh, would you like to play Vince Fontaine? <laughs> and I said, do I have to audition? He said, no, the part's yours. And I said, okay, fantastic. So I was, uh, as we, uh, let me clean this up, uh, pooping in my pants, thinking that, hey, I have to actually go out and do this. And can I memorize lines? And what's this going to be like? And when I get there, needless to say, I'm the oldest guy in the room because all these young people who want to be on Broadway and have a better shot at it, certainly than I ever did, um, uh, kind of went ape because they grew up watching me on Nickelodeon and grew up watching me on Food Network. And now uh, I was in their presence and they were just sort of uh, ooing and aahing. And it was, it was a cool feeling. And uh, one of the people in the chorus was this young, I think he was 18 or 19-year-old, uh, gentleman, his name was Anthony Ramos Martinez, and uh, there was something special about him. He just stood out. He was always the first one in, the last one out, uh, was always rehearsing on the side, and just was putting 150% of energy into it. And we all looked at him and said, if any of us are going to make it, this is the guy. I'd like to welcome my good friend Anthony Ramos to Mark Summers Unwraps. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, bro. It's good to see your face, bro. I haven't seen you. Uh, last time I saw you, we're going to get to it a little bit later when you came to my uh, live performance. Uh, I'm Double Dare. Yeah. I came on tour. You was, was playing, I think, in Long Island. In Long Island. Like and you and you popped in. That was yep. a, That was a cool night. So, so many things to discuss. First of all, you just turned the big 3-0. I did. And I saw they had a surprise party for you. Was Were you truly surprised? I was very surprised. I was I was very very surprised. I kind of had like a feeling it was gonna happen, but I didn't know it was actually going to happen. So uh, when I got there and I saw all those people I love in one room, like friends I hadn't seen in a while, and uh, you know just family members uh, who I hadn't seen in a while there, 
it was uh, it was really special. You're a good actor, but I didn't think you can fake that. And it seemed to me like, oh, oh my I was god, surprised, yeah, man. I could tell. Yeah. And who pops in but Lin Manuel Miranda? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What has that man meant to you in your career? He's you know he means a lot you know especially in my career like I think you know Lin Lin is a huge part of uh, a huge reason why I'm like why I'm able to do the TV and the movies and the music and the this and the that like you know he he gave me this opportunity especially with Hamilton um, and then in the Heights and even before that we did a small like a 13 minute musical called 21 Chump Street that. Uh, that we did at the Brooklyn Academy of Music that, you know, people started to watch and people really started to see my work. And, um, you know, it's, it's you know, he, he just, he created a role for me, or roles, right? Like, uh, or gave me opportunities that weren't necessarily there before he started making, you know, making things, you know, for people like, you know, especially Latinos, you know, like, so, um, so yeah, Lynn means a lot, a lot to me as a, you know, as a reference to my career, plus, you know, as a friend, you know, he's been there for me even outside of work. Which know? is nice to hear. Yeah. He's an amazing guy. I, uh, I'm i on an email relationship with him, and I said something to him about, I think, uh, Anthony is the next uh, Tom Hanks, and he agreed with me, so. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. It is. You've had a lot of important people, special people in your life, and I was watching CBS one night, and you were redoing the house of a teacher. Yeah. Tell me about that person. What's her name? Her name is Sarah Steinwise. And why is she so important to you? She, you know, when I was in high school, I was very, uh, I was like, I was pretty lost and misguided. Not to say that I'm not lost now, right? <laughs> like I have moments all the time where I'm like, I don't know what is happening or where I'm going or what I'm doing. But I think the only difference between the Anthony back then and Anthony now is the Anthony now makes a plan. You know, at least I'll like make a plan, and if it gets messed up, then again, you know, if it gets, if if I thought I was going right, but life's taking me left, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess we're going this way. But <laughs> back, what what specifically did she do? She, I mean, she, you know, specifically, I mean, she, I started theater when I was 16, and that was when I did my first like mu. That was when I did my first musical. She was a director at the time of the theater guild in school, and. You know, I thought I was auditioning for a talent show, ended up being a musical. I sing my song, she's like, okay, can you do the lines? I'm like, nah, I don't do that really. Like, I don't know, what, 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 is, what is this, what's happening? And she goes, you know, oh, it's a musical. I'm like, I mean, I'll give it a shot. I did it, I get in. She gives me a lead role in this musical that the students wrote called Love Conquers All. It was like a, you know. And uh, you weren't in the theater at all at this point? No, no, I had never, I've never done a musical before. I didn't even like musicals. Really? No. Um, and uh, I said, all right, I, I guess I'll give it a shot. And I get on stage and I'm wearing like this ridiculous like cloak, like robe kind of thing. Didn't you have some sort of wig or something on as I well? Had, nah, I had this cardboard like crown. Yeah, that was that, it. You know what I mean? That, <laughs> it looked like the Burger King joints that you see <laughs> on top of the seats when you get it. And, uh, and then I had like way too much makeup on, eyeliner and blush. And, you know, I'm like playing this playing Zeus and I looked like the furthest thing from what I think Zeus would look like <laughs> and um, uh, and I, it was um, but I was on stage singing this song to it was like a rendition of Baby It's Cold Outside but a, a spin on it called Baby It's You I Love that uh, the, uh, this guy Ross this student named Ross wrote uh, 
he was the the music director, this young kid, he's like a sophomore at the time, brilliant, brilliant musician, and rewrote this song for the show, and I'm singing this song to Hera, who is my love, you know, my wife, my love interest, my partner, and um, and I'm just on stage, and I know I look ridiculous, <laughs> but I don't feel, feel ridiculous, like I feel... Ah. Like you belong. I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm having this moment on stage. Like, yo, I feel like I belong here, and it's so weird, um, because I, I didn't think I would feel that, especially not doing musical theater. You know, I had felt that before, maybe singing on stage. Um, you know, I sang as a kid in junior high school, but I, I didn't. Re I stopped. You know, and then I was like, I, that, you know, and then I'm, this thing was just supposed to be a one-off talent show, or whatever. I was supposed to come here and just do one song in my mind when I auditioned first, and you know, she. Um, she was like, yo, I think you really got something. And I was like, I mean, you, you for real? She's like, yeah, but my grades weren't good. I was pretty like, I wasn't fo focused, you know, necessarily in school. Like I got distracted easily. The only thing that really kept me focused was baseball and sports. So I started keeping, you know, I started doing more of that. I started leaning in more. I was on the wrestling team. I was on the baseball team. I was working out with the football team. like. But let's digress for two seconds. I, you were playing baseball. You were pretty good, from what I understand. I was good. You know, I was good enough to play in college. And and you wanted to do that as a career. I wanted I wanted to be a professional baseball player, but I knew I wasn't going to be. You know, I knew at seventeen I was on the field playing, and I'm just like, what am I doing here? You and know, I heard I one day off. you just, you just stopped coming. I just stopped coming to the games. Really? I did. Yeah. You, I, I finished the high school season, and I was playing in my summer. You know, in the summer league. That's what you usually do in New York. You play, you know, you play the high school, you know, you play in your, for your school during the spring. And right. And you play in the summer team all the way through the fall until it gets too cold to play. And what was it that said, I don't belong here? I don't know. I was just in the outfield. I, know if, I was playing outfield that time uh, in, in that game. And I usually play second base, but I was in the outfield in that game. And I was just like standing out there like, what the hell am I doing here? What am I, the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Can we can be not supposed to? You can say anything oh, you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. I was fucking standing there. Like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> like, just out, out, out there waiting for somebody to hit some shit to me, or like, you know what I mean, and I'm just like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. So when you didn't show up, did they contact you and say, "Hey, yeah, Anthony, yeah. where are you?" Rest in peace, my rest in peace, my coach Rick DeMarco Senior. He was, he wasn't happy about me not showing up anymore, you know. And and his son was my coach in high school. And, um, you know, and those guys just really cared. You know, they cared about their players. They cared about us. And that's why, you know, it was half like, yo, why are you not showing up to the game? And the other half like, yo, like, what well, what are you doing instead kind of thing? Like, well, are you good? Like, well, I don't know. Like, and, um, and it was irresponsible of me, you know, to not be communicative and to not say to them, yo, I quit. I don't know. For whatever reason, I didn't have the heart to tell them. And, um... You know, and and you know, I'm in high school, and it's, that was, you know, that's my senior year. I didn't have, I didn't have a, a college to go to out of school. Like, I thought I had a plan, and then all my applications got withdrawn from all the schools I applied to because I didn't get the financial aid forms in 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 time. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't send the papers in on time. So, so, how uh, did you end up with this thing called the Seinfeld? So yeah, so fast forward, Sarah, you know, Sarah yeah. goes, I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, she says, "Yo, we're not gonna give up. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna audition for this school called AMDA, this school in New York, called the American Musical and Dramatic Academy." I'm like, "Okay, cool. I don't think I'm gonna get in, but, you know, you you really think I should do this?" She's like, "Absolutely, you should do this." So, so I go and, uh, you know, I audition and then I get in. I'm like, "Oh shit!" 
Yeah, how am I going to pay for this? Right. She helps me with the audition material and everything. She paid for the application. I was going to quit. I didn't even want to finish the application. She And one of my boys calls her because I was crying. My boy Jason uh, from school and goes, yo, Anthony's crying in the crib talking about he want to go to the Navy. He wants to quit. He wants to leave. And she's like, put him on the phone. I get on the phone. She's like, come to my house right now. You know, basically, like, get your ass to my crib right now. We're going to finish this application, and I'm going to send it in. No, I don't want to do this anymore. She's like, yo, like, basically, don't be a bitch. Get Get your ass to my crib, (laughs) and we're going to finish this. And I was like, all right. So I walked. We walked, actually, from his house where he lived. It was a long-ass walk. (laughs) Really? I mean, she lived almost two miles away from him, I think. Oh, man. And we walked our asses over there. Finally, we get there. And we sit, she's waiting for us. She opens the door and she's got a setup right at a round table. And this wasn't even her house. It was her brother's house because she, you know, she was like, I'm not taking these kids to my crib. <laughs> <laughs> so her, her brother's wife and the kid, they chilling in the living room while we're at this round table in their kitchen finishing these essays. And she, we, we wrote them. And, and then I, uh, and then she paid the $50 for the application because I didn't have the money to pay for the application. She sent it out. Uh, I go and audition for the school. I get in. I couldn't afford Then I get the welcome packet. I couldn't afford it. She helped me with the song for the school. Like another teacher, Miss H, Miss Han Violette, helped me with the, the monologue to do for it. Uh, this monologue from King Lear, uh, the Shakespeare play. And did you have any idea what it was about? I mean, did you have any focus on Shakespeare and King Lear? Well, I was actually taking her Shakespeare class. Oh, uh, okay. So you did. In high school. And that was the only honors class I could take because I didn't have honors grades, but she believed in me so much as an actor. This other teacher that she's like, I'm going to put you in my class. Huh. Because even though your grades, like, you wouldn't necessarily be able to get into this class if you applied for it. But she stuck her neck in it. But she was like, nah, I want that kid in my class. And, um, and I ended up taking her class. So how did this uh, scholarship happen? So the scholarship happened. The scholarship happened when um, I was, uh, after I get into the school, I get the welcome packet. I couldn't afford it. And I'm like, yo, I can't do this. And then they wanted a loan for, I think, over 16000 or something like that. And um, basically, I, t- I looked at my mother, and I'm like, yo, we can't afford this. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. And my mom just keeps saying, don't worry, Papa, God is going to make a way. I'm like, well, if God going to make a way, I'm going to need my man to move fast. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you better hurry. Clock is ticking. And she's like, no, Papa, don't worry. God's going to make a way. God's going to make a way. I'm like, all right. And um, basically, Sarah says to me, she posts, I was I was doing a community theater show for a community theater company at the time uh, called The Stravelli Players. So I'm in rehearsal with them for this cabaret we we were gonna do in like a month, and she pulls Sarah Stein pulls me out of rehearsal because she knew all them cats too. She knew all them people that worked there. She pulls me out of rehearsal. She goes, "Yo, I gave your name to the Jerry Seinfeld Scholarship Foundation. They want to meet you." I was like, "Well, have they seen my grades?" She's like, "Yeah." It's like you sure because if they saw my grades, I don't know if they want to meet me. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, "She's like, yes, they saw your grades," and I was like, "Okay." So um, she's like, but I told them about you, and they had given a scholarship out to a, a girl at, at our school five years prior because of her. She wrote a, a same kind of letter, mm. passionate, like, yo, you got to meet this girl. Her story is amazing. Her story is incredible. I believe in her so much. Please meet her. And um, they did, and they gave her a scholarship five years five years prior to that. And then later, right, they hit me up, and they're like, yo, we'll meet him. I was like, okay, cool. I sit across from this woman named Kate Fenneman. 
who's still a friend of mine. Um, she goes, you know, I, I just told her my story. I told her everything. I said, look, you know, I grew up in drugs and alcohol and I grew up in violence and I grew up in a, you know, a low-income neighborhood and, you know, we we struggled a lot. But I was like, you know, I just need a chance. I just need to, you know, I said, you know, my, my circumstances are, I said my grades are not a reflection of who I am. You know, that's what I said to her. I said, I just need a shot. I need somebody to give me a chance. And, you know, she, she got emotional. I was a little emotional. I was like, all right, I'm out. And I left. And then a few days later, uh, the school calls me for a loan. And I was like, I can't afford this. So I asked the dude. I was like, yo, my man, can you give me one more day? So I didn't know what I was going to do with it another day. But I was just like, who knows, right? A miracle could happen in a day. Yep. Me having yep. like this faith. And it did, apparently. And it did. Two hours later, I get a call from the scholarship fund. Hey, it's Kate. What up, Kate? We don't usually get the scholarship out to people we grades, but we want to pay for your school for all four years. All four years? Wherever you want to go. Oh, my. And I was just immediately, I started crying. I just kept, I, immediately in my mind, I just kept hearing my mom, don't worry about God's going to make a way. Don't worry about God's going to make a way. And I kept hearing that in my head. Oh, my. As soon as she called, and my mother was there when we got that call. She must have broken down the house well. phone. They had a house phone at the time. Oh my! And uh, and yep, they called on the landline, and and uh, yeah, we both fell to our knees, we were crying, we were praying, we were just thanking God for the opportunity, and like, in that you know, and Sarah believing in me like that, you know, she's still one of my closest friends. You know, she's she's one of my best friends in my life, and um, and it's cool that now like, you know, I'm I'm now working with Kate with my own scholarship fund for the first time. No. Yeah, and we just put our first, you know, student through schools, girl named Najalise. Paying it forward, paying it forward. And I'm working with Kate and Sarah helps me pick the Oh my whoever the scholar is, you know what I mean? So hopefully God willing we're gonna grow this thing to be something big. You know, I wanna put I wanna put hundreds of students through school. You know, that's my that's my goal. But we starting off with one. You know, did you uh one. did you ever meet Jerry Seinfeld and thank him? I did. He didn't even know he gave me a scholarship. He didn't even know. <laughs> he had no idea. No kidding. Nah, but I don't blame him, right? Like, he's just, he gave his money to a foundation that his sister was running. Like, you know, he don't know. Um, but I did say thank you. You know, I said, yo, thank you so much. You put me through school, man. And he just looking at me. His eyes got wide. Like, I don't know who the <laughs> fuck this kid is. <laughs> Bro, that shit was so funny. <laughs> Hysterical. Oh, but at no, least you got a gosh. chance to but thank him. At least him. I got a chance. I thanked him twice. I, saw, I met him twice. And, you know, I, I met him a few times after that. And I went to the World Series with him and his family. Oh, you I, did? Yeah, yeah. I met them during Hamilton. And uh, it was cool. It was, you know, I was hanging out with them for a little bit and uh, uh, for a little period of time, man. So it was nice to uh, to get to know them like that. For me to, you know, more than anything, for me to say thank you to him, you know, and his wife, too. Just thank you to his family. Thank y'all for. Um, for changing my life. They changed your life, you know? no question about it. So I always knew you were an emotional guy. I'm finding out just in the first few minutes here how emotional you are, and, yeah. and you're a crier, and, and yeah. you're a person who uh, believes in God, and you're thankful for things that happen sort of in a miracle sort of fashion. Yeah. So we're going to take a few steps back. You and I met about 10 years ago. Um, I decided uh, after going through some stuff that I wanted to try theater again. Yeah. And when you and I were doing Grease in a place uh, called... Uh, it what, was Surf Light, Surf Light theater, theater, right? On Long Beach Island. <laughs> Long Beach Island, yeah. And Jersey. you were like 19, I think, maybe. I was 19. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, I was scared out of my mind because I thought, well, I'm out of my element. And... and um, 
somehow you and I bonded. Let me ask you a question, because I don't. Since you were nineteen, you you didn't really kind of know my background in television. You because the other kids knew that they grew up watching me on Nickelodeon and Food Network stuff. I don't think you ever knew any of that stuff. I saw you on Double Dare. Though. I used to watch Double Dare. Yeah, yeah. Like I knew who you were when you were coming in, but I didn't know about all the other shit you was doing, like the unwrapped and all that shit. Like I didn't know that, you know, because he's like, Yo, Mark Summers, Mark Summers. I know I'm mess with Double Dare, but like. <laughs> you know, I like you know, I was like that's what's up. Like you know, it was the dude from Double Dare, you know. So you're getting slimed and shit, you know, like <laughs> But I was like, um, but I was excited. I was excited to meet you, actually. I was. And we bonded instantaneously. I never know what that's about. I always think it's a chemistry thing. Like when I met my wife, she was standing in line. I was a page at CBS, and she was coming in to go to the Bob uh, or the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm. And we just connected. Yeah. And, and you know, four weeks later, I, I asked her to marry me, and we've been married 47 years. It was just a thing, okay? Uh, yeah. So, um, you're you're kicking ass and taking names here at Greece, and and we all, Drew Gasparini, who's a friend of ours. Uh, Shout out to Drew, man. <laughs> I love Drew. Yeah. And we would stand on the side, and you were always like the first one in, the last one out. You're always rehearsing. You're always working on it. And we both looked at each other one day and said, "If anybody's going to make it, this is the guy who's going to make it." Okay. Mm. You had something special, some aura around you. Okay. So fast forward the tape. You were nice enough to invite me and Drew and the cast members to come and see you sing at uh, some theater in New York, and it was like the the next big stars to be on Broadway, or I don't oh, know what the- Broadway's Rising Stars. Bro Broadway's Rising That's Stars. Showcase, yes. the town hall, yeah. And and there you were, and you know, the singers and, and the performers were amazing, and, and here you came, and you did something that is always the most frightening thing to me as a performer. You forgot the words <laughs> to the song. I forgot my fucking words. <laughs> and you stopped and started, and I, you know, like Drew is kicking me, oh and we're God. sort of sliding, and we're we're, we're sweating for you. No. And I, I, what'd you do? You stopped the orchestra two or three I times. I stopped him. I stopped him. I stopped him once. And I forgot, I actually forgot, I forgot my words twice, but twice. I kept going the second time. <laughs> but like, I said, this one wasn't as bad as the first one, and I can't stop the orchestra again, so let me just keep going. So now you're done with that. You get through it somehow, and yeah. we're standing at the door and trying to figure out, what the hell did we say to him? You know, and your mom was there and, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. What was that experience like to you inside? Did you figure, oh, hell, this is over with? I ain't going to make it? Or, ah, it's just another experience? No, because you know what, though? What I was so encouraged by was, like, it was almost like I had this moment where I was proud of myself like, like if I was, it's almost like I was outside of myself in that moment where I say, yo, good shit, man. Like you handled that all right. I'm not even going to lie. Like I had to give myself some props because it was crazy. Like I, you know, and I knew that song was, that song, I I was struggling with that song from the, from the moment we started even. And, and like the way they had us prepare like five songs and then they picked one. And I was like, yo, I wish I was just focusing on one you know, because like I'm like, yo, we were on f five, you know, four or five songs bef before we picked the one that we're gonna perform, and uh, and you know, by the time we got to the performance, we picked they picked the one that I was least prepared with. Oh man! And I was like, what the fuck? I'm gonna say I'm least prepared. This is the song they want me to sing, and I was like, nah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try at least. And you know, back if it was nowadays, I would have definitely been like, nah. I'm 100%. I'm not singing this, y'all. Yeah, just, but now you have the confidence to do that. Right, yeah, I didn't have the confidence to do that back then. And it was like, and I get up there and I start singing the first few lyrics. And I never had a moment in my life where I said, I'm about to forget the words. Really? Like, I literally, while I'm singing the song, I'm like, I'm about, I, I am about to forget the lyrics. I'm not, I, my brain is not catching up to the music right now. And sure enough, I forget them. 
and I start mumbling and then I stop singing and I'm looking around and I just said, beautiful people, beautiful people, beautiful people. I just, <laughs> that's right. That's I start hard. waving my hands at the audience and I'm waving my hands at the orchestra. I'm just like, beautiful people, beautiful people. Look, look, hold on, hold on, hold on. Beautiful people. Look. <laughs> and then the orchestra was just like, they stopped playing. I said, <laughs> I said, ladies and gentlemen, we had a bit of a lyric malfunction. <laughs> a term that I had never heard before, right there. A lyric malfunction. A lyric malfunction. <laughs> Good God. And I said, I said, look, 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 look. Y'all deserve the best. Y'all deserve the best. Y'all came out and I said, if y'all want to hear that again, but 10 times better. Let's go back to the start. To make the some noise. I said, make, the noise? make some noise. And the fucking crowd goes crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Look at the orchestra. And I'm like, and I give him like the nod, like, holy shit, we just got out of that. It, but like real confidence still slick. I'm like, yeah, all right, God, let's do this. I wink at one of them, maybe. In my mind, I wink at one of them. Like, I thought I was a shit. And what was crazy is like one of the guys in the orchestra was actually a guy that worked at my school at Emda. So I knew him, John. He played. He was playing on the piano. So it was almost like this familiarity. I, I, I knew this dude. I ain't know him like that, but I knew him. But anyway, it was like, I was like, yo, all right, let's start again. And we start again, and we're doing it. And I and I had gotten a little further in, but I said, I'm about to forget the lyrics again in the same spot. And I did, but I kind of mumbled my way into, I kind of mumbled my way through until I got to a part that I knew. And it was soon enough for me to just continue the song. And get through it. And just get through it. And that night, the only thing I could think of was not, it wasn't the fact that I forgot the lyrics, the fact that like I bounced back. And it was almost like a metaphor for my life. Like mm. it's not about, it's not about how you fall. Like it's about how you get up, you know, and what you do when you get up. That's what this is all about. You know, I, one night I only had like two or three pages of dialogue and one night I forgot the lines and I, I, <laughs> I remember that, I remember that too. And I just said, I said, I don't know what the next line is, but it has something to do with these damn shoes. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and the cast just lost it. They all fell over laughing their asses off yeah. because it's like, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. You know, cause you, you know it better than me. Cause you did. How long did you do Hamilton? Man, I did. I did that shit for like, Two years? <laughs> Two and a half years. Two and a half years. And sometimes... Over 600 shows or something like You're that. out there thinking about doing the laundry or something. You're not sort of focused on oh, the show, man, right? I'm thinking about what audition I got the next day. Yeah. Practicing lines in between. You know, and I get off the stage. Immediately I got my dialogue for whatever audition I got the next day. Right by my seat or something like that backstage. You know, it's like... Because eventually you know it. So, you know, like the back of your hand, you like... Yeah, you think you can you know, fake your way through it, and sometimes uh, it ain't that easy, you know? It's no. amazing. No, it's not. Tell me about your work ethic, uh, because I understand that when you were younger, the work ethic you have today did not exist. No, it wasn't as focused, you know? I think it was always there, but it just wasn't focused. Um, I, th I was very distracted easily, you know, like as a kid. Um, you know, and I, we had a lot going on, you know? Our family was dealing with a lot, you know, like, you know, my mom's raising three kids by herself in the projects. She's making barely 30 G's a year. If what that. was she doing? She's a medical biller. Um, she worked at you know, a couple of hospitals and she picked up a second job uh, at a laboratory, but that didn't really last too long. And, um, you know, my mom's was my mom was struggling a lot, you know, and, and I've known you for 10 years. I've never asked you about your father. Did, did you know your dad at all? I did. I do. I know my dad. He's still, a, you know, he's, he's still around, around and. What kind of relationship do you um, have? You know, it's it's been uh, 
it's been turbulent for a lot of years. I think right now we're kind of just like at a, it's kind of just like a, just steady. Like mm-hmm. it's just like we're cool, you know. Like do we, I got no beef with him, but does he uh, appreciate what you've been able to accomplish? I think, I think, um, I think he does. You know, and he lets me know too. He's like, kid, that thing. You know, he'll send me a photo of him watching a thing that I did on his TV. You know, so it's cool when I see that. You know, and I, um, you know, I think he's more of like, um, he's less. I look at him not so much as like my dad, but more like a, a guy that I have deep love for because mm-hmm. yeah, because he is my biological father and I think there's something in the DNA there's like a connection there that I can't deny of course but you know I also uh you know I also I think it's it's just I, I just kind of uh I think our relationship now is is sort of like it's it, it was rough for a lot of years but I've forgiven him and I love him and I'm, you know and 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 I think uh but I think I do my best to kind of like, and that's not just with him. I think with multiple people in my life, I've I've accepted like, oh, this relationship is like this. So I just have to create like boundaries, healthy boundaries for myself. Sure. In order to maintain this relationship and, and in order for me to um, continue to uh, continue to improve as an individual myself and continue to like learn how to love um more authentically if that makes sense right like it does uh this is a uh situation where you don't have to answer any question you don't want to has he ever asked you for anything uh he has he has and how do you deal with that um i you know i i've i it's tough because i think for me, like I try, and this is with anyone, right? Like if I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, I'll probably say something now before I wouldn't. But I think the way I deal with it now is, especially like if it's money or something like that, like for me, um, and he doesn't, he doesn't ask me really for shit now, you know, but I, you know, I, I think, you know, the way I navigate it is, is like, if it don't cost me nothing, I'll give it to him. Mm. But if it's going to cost me something, I won't. Well, as you know, the more successful you get, people think that you have so much money that you can hand it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I loaned some friend of mine uh, some money. And when I, a couple of years later, said, are you ever going to pay me back? And he said to me, why? You don't need it. And you told me this story before, too. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and, and you know, that, that people feel that way, that they're entitled but when it's a parent, it's got to be a whole different feeling, and and you don't want to say no because you're, you know, the DNA is there. But on the same token, um, it's not necessarily a positive thing at all times. So, no, no, it's not. And it, I mean it, and it hurts, you know. Sometimes, yeah. right? you know, it's like, but at the same time, I've learned how to navigate it in a way where it doesn't hurt. It does. I, I don't allow myself. Excuse me. I don't allow myself to get hurt by that kind of shit anymore because I'm like everybody's human, you know. And I say to myself, if that happens, he's having a human experience. He's having his own human experience right now, and I don't have to allow that to affect me negatively, mm. you know. Like, and um, you know, and ho- and 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 if I have the communication skills to communicate to him, I feel like this. This this makes me feel like this when you do this, or and this is to, with anyone really. Anyone especially close to me that I care about, if I care about you enough, I'm gonna say to you, I'm like, this thing made me feel like this when you did that. So 
So now the ball is in your court. Now, 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 now the ball's in your in, in your court for you to, for you to, uh, you know, respond to that in a way where, where you're like, oh, I heard him. So let me let me let me listen and let me acknowledge that. And oh, this thing made him feel sad. That or and this vice versa, right? If I care about somebody enough, and you tell me, yo, aunt, the last time you did that to me. I actually felt this way and I didn't, you know what I'm saying? It didn't make me feel good or it made me feel like you didn't hear me or you didn't care. Then because I love you and I care about you, I'm going to listen and I'm going to hear you. I'm going to take in what you just said. And then, okay, and what can you do next time to, to, um, you know what I'm saying? To meet this person in the middle, this person, meet this person's needs in the middle. You know, if it's, if it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? If it doesn't stray from like your moral compass, like if this person's like, oh, last time you didn't, you know, smack that person for me. It made me feel sad like you didn't care about it. It's like, no, no, I'm not smacking nobody for you. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not going to do nothing crazy. But like if somebody's like, oh, when you said that thing, that certain kind of way, okay, let me communicate in a different way. Let me do the work on my end to figure out how to communicate with you in a way that makes you feel loved, that makes you feel, you know, and and um, and that, I guess, I guess that goes back to, you know, I don't, I don't take it personal if he asks me something or my mom asks me, whatever, whatever. And if I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, I now have the courage, which I didn't have as a kid, right? Like, um, it goes back to the reason why I didn't, I didn't s tell the guy I'm not prepared. I didn't, I can't sing the song because I'm not, I'm actually not prepared. That would have been the honest and vulnerable thing to do, but instead I said, no, I'm just gonna do the thing that I know I'm not prepared to do. But in your 30 short years, your maturity level is insane. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to jump around. I had another question I wanted to ask, but here's yeah. what I want to jump to. Uh, Alice and I, my wife, uh, watched you on In Treatment every week that you yeah. were on, okay? And we thought, Jesus Christ, how does that guy do that, okay? <laughs> because when I watch uh, various performers, sometimes a De Niro or a you know, picker person, I can see them acting. Yeah. But when we watched you on In Treatment, I never saw you acting. I believed every waking moment that you were that character and you were living that. How mm. the hell do you do that? I just felt him. You really did. I, you were that I, person. I just, I, you know, thanks for, you know, thanks for for watching it, and uh, and I'm grateful that you uh, that you felt the thing that that I felt, you know, which which uh, which I, I hoped that came out of me in in the performance. But it was like, yo, like. I feel this dude, you know, he feels neglected by his mom. I, even if I don't necessarily, if our stories are not parallel, you know what I mean, when it comes to our relationship with our parents or his relationship with where he's from and, uh, you know, like. Was uh, there backstory that they gave you on this character or did you make that backstory up? No, there was no backstory. I mean, I mean, the, the story was all there, though, you know, like in this dude, Chris Gobble, who's an incredible writer. This was kind of based on his life. Oh, I didn't he know actually kind of he went through this shit. Uh. And um uh, and I didn't. And what's fun, what's interesting is that I didn't have that conversation with him until after we did it, and because I, I wanted to thank him, you know, like I was like, yo, why haven't I met the writer? And I'm like hitting them up, like HBO or whoever. I was like, tell my manager, yo, please get connect me with Chris, because I have to thank this writer for his vulnerability. I have to thank him for this piece that I was so that I was blessed to do. You Any know, of it ad lib or was it your word doing nah, word, word for word? Word for word, man. Really? Word for word. And it's usually, yo, I, I, I kid you not, 90% of the shit I've done, I've ad libbed on. 
That's what I figured. But so this was all there this on the was page. All there on the page. Everything, every word I uttered, every word I wow. said, everything was on. It was already there. Man, if you have not watched that, I got to tell you, you folks need to go on HBO and pull this up because you went up. It's it's one of the best performances I've ever seen you. I've seen you do everything. That one was un- unbelievable, man. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So let me jump back a little bit. Uh, you auditioned for In the Heights initially. Yeah. And that one didn't go so well either, huh? Bombed. <laughs> so <laughs> what happened didn't on that go one? So well is different from bombing. <laughs> Fucking horrible was what well, it was. Now, you knew the lines. You knew everything. What happened? Did you just, just freeze? I just was. I just didn't know. I just was like, I forgot how to act. Really? Yeah. I don't That's know crazy. That. I don't know what happened that day. But eventually you did get on a tour of that, right? No. So I, well, so what happened was I auditioned for In the Heights for the first time when we, when we met. Yeah. And when I was 19 for a national tour, I killed that shit. Right. But I, but you know what? I messed up on the, um, for whatever reason, I was so nervous I couldn't sing the part. Really? In the in the singing part of the audition, and I still came back for a dancing part. But I knew it once I saw Tommy Kale's face and Alex's face. Like when I was trying to sing this part for, uh, I was uh, auditioning for Sunny and Usnavi, but it was mostly I knew I'd probably be Sunny because I looked I looked younger. I looked sixteen, and um, and uh, I could I I knew I, I left the room being like, yeah, no, that wasn't. That wasn't the one, and I still had another callback after that. But um, after that audition, after that, I I was waiting and waiting and waiting, and didn't get it. And that was for a national tour of of that show. When the show had closed on Broadway, they were taking the show on the road, and um, I didn't get it, and I was crushed, you know, because that was like the show that I saw like out of college that yeah. I felt like, yo, this shit is like, if there's any show I'm gonna do in musical theater. Is this? Yeah. It feels like the only show I can do in musical theater uh, yeah. right now. And you know, fast forward, uh, I they started to to release the rights out to, um, and uh, and that was just that audition for for that for that one. That was right? the national for the, for tour. The national tour. And then they released the rights for regional productions, regional theaters around like Surf Light and right. like a like Pioneer Theater Company in Salt Lake City who ended up doing the show. I went and auditioned for them. And what was crazy was I couldn't even get into that audition because I wasn't a part of the actors union. Oh, you weren't in equity yet. Nah. So Wait a minute. I got an equity when we did uh, Surf Light. You weren't you didn't get in that way? Nah. Wow. Cuz they had none they had to hire f- uh, a few non-union actors as well oh. to fill out some of those roles that weren't that. like the lead 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 roles. Oh. You know, so I was one of those non-union actors. And um, you know, and then and for um Pioneer Theater Company, I, they were doing appointments but they were also doing open calls, but only for equity. It was an equity uh, call. Yeah. So because I wasn't equity, couldn't get in. I couldn't get into the open audition. So I, it was crazy. I went to my acting class. I'm telling one of my teachers, I'm like, shit, man, like I really wanted to audition for In the Heights. They was doing it at this theater. But like, I couldn't get seen, you know, because I wasn't, I'm not equity. She goes, oh, what theater? I was like, oh, Pioneer. She's like, oh, I know the casting director there. This guy named Rich Cole. Word? I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. She's like, yeah, you know what? I'll tell him about you know no no she didn't she actually didn't even say that she didn't even say I'll tell him about it. she's like yeah I know the casting director there I was like yo I mean if you could hook it up she's like oh yeah no I see what I could do I, you know people say I see what I could do all the time then fast forward in my last on in our last class maybe two weeks later or was it a week or two later it was our final performance she emails me she's like yo your performance was so beautiful man like I was so moved I gave your name to Rich Cole 
about In the Heights, and he said for you to reach out to him, send your headshot resume. Here's the email, blah, blah, blah. I send the headshot resume, I get no response. So I'm like, shit. Dude never hit me back. I was tight. I was like, fuck, man. So I go, I'm like, all right, you're still beating the pavement. I'm doing these open auditions. I'm doing these open calls. Because in theater, that's, you know, it's a lot easier to get seen than in film and television. You can, you can, be, you can make it in theater, you know, without having an agent. You know, like it's a lot. But you easier, have to be rather. persistent, man. You gotta just be. Yo, you gotta be like an animal, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I was waking up so early in the morning. Go stand in line. To stand in line. You know what I mean? To to then. And then sometimes stand in line for eight hours, and people and, go through and go, nope. No, you can't. Yeah, we can't. We're not gonna see you. Yeah. You know, so I mean, you gotta be willing to do that. And then, you know, but basically, Jenny goes. Jenny Mercine was was is the name of my teacher from school from college. She goes, uh, well, rather Rich Cole. And then we're doing appointments. So I'm I'm auditioning for another production of In the Heights at some like non-union theater that I think eventually went like bankrupt or something like that. But they were doing a production of it as well. And I went in and auditioned. I didn't even get a call back for that. Man. I was like, y'all not gonna give me a call back for fucking In the Heights. Like, bro, what? I was like, it's Flower the, drum song, I get it. But I don't didn't expect I... shit most times, but come on, G. I, at least for the fucking In the Heights. Yeah, I'm the guy. Like, not even for the dude in the back that's singing two notes. Like, you're not even going to give me a callback for that? Like, come on, son. But I was like, you know what I mean? Like, but I, I, I get out of that audition and I see next door that they were doing appointments for the one that I really was trying to get into for a Pioneer Theater Company. And so I'm like, shit, man, I should give the monitor, the person, you know, just get, yeah. brings the people into the audition, my headshot and resume yeah. and see if I can maybe wait around and see if they'll... If they got space and time, they can see me today. You know, I didn't have anything prepared, nothing. I was like, fuck it. I'll just, just go just in. get in there. And the monitor comes out. I pump fake. I thought twice. She goes back in. I'm like, I missed my chance. Then all of a sudden, this older man comes out of the, comes out of the door. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, something inside me is like, follow this guy. Follow him. He was walking to the elevator because he would take smoke breaks, Rich. And he was going downstairs to get to take a smoke break. And something inside me was telling you, yo, get up and follow this dude. And I'm talking to a couple of my friends, and I just like was like, yo, guys, I, give me two seconds. I got, I, I got, I'll be right back. I Your got, instinct kicked my, in. Yo, I'm telling you, I grabbed my headshot and resume, and I just started walking fast. And I, I had to catch up to him. I walked, you know, but without being a creep, but me looking like I'm walking with intention. Yeah. Like with intent. Yeah, like, not a I'm, stalker. Right. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> elevator. He's at the elevator. I pull up. I'm like, hey, man, uh, how you doing, brother? I'm, my name's Anthony Ramos. You know, I know you know Jenny Mercine. She's a good friend of mine. She's my teacher. She 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 said she told you about me. Um, he's like, you a friend of Jenny? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay. He's like, yeah. I, you know, I I was wondering if I could give you my headshot resume. You know, I just want to give it to you. He's like, yeah, you can give me a headshot resume. I give him my headshot resume, and that was it. You know, and I left, and I was I went to go get lunch, um, and I'm sitting having lunch, and all of a sudden I get an email like. Hey Anthony, it's Rich Cole, and open it. Yo, you know what? I could pull the email. I still have the email. In really? My phone. I still got this shit in my phone. That's bro. crazy. Like, it's 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 bugged out. And I was I be reading this shit sometimes, like to people when I'm telling the story. But it's cool that you kept it. Yeah, I still got this shit, and it goes. So this is. All right. So this is June twelfth, two thousand twelve, from Rich Cole. 
It says Ford in the Heights audition. It says, hi, Anthony. I just got an opening for Pioneers in the Heights tomorrow at 11 a.m. back at Chelsea Studios, 151 West 26th Street, 5th floor. Do you want it? Sing in the style of the show, prepare the attached Graffiti Pete side. Graffiti Pete is like the, he's like one of the characters. He's not like the lead character, but he's like a supporting role. So let me know if, if he said, let me know if this works for you best, Rich. What'd you say? I wrote, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. He said, any friend of Jenny's and student of Cindy Tolley, who was my ballet teacher in college. Oh, man. Who, who actually had mercy on me because I would never come to class in ballet tights. I was always wearing basketball shorts. She used to get so upset. <laughs> Cindy Tolley is, is cool with me. Smiley face. I said, right on, man. See you tomorrow. Um, and, uh, and I and I went in and I booked it and I got my equity card. Wow! My equity, my equity card like that. How long did you do that? To... Um, I did that only for about six weeks, and then and then uh, fast forward the, to to the movie. Um, they, when the movie was still with the Weinstein Company, um, you know they were doing auditions. They was about they were about to do it. They were getting serious about it. They were about to do it, and that was when I auditioned. I auditioned for the film. And this was after Hamilton. And um, and I went in and I bombed that shit. It was just bad, not a good audition. It was a horrible audition. Really? Yeah, that was the one where I said I f- feel like I forgot how to act. And um, and I left and said, damn, that was my chance, and I blew it. And a couple years later, the movie leaves the Weinstein Company and Warner Brothers now has it. And um, and I was like, fuck, man, if only I could just get a meeting with the director, John Chu. If only I could just meet him. Like, I don't know. I just feel like. Were I, you not close enough with Lynn where you could have called Lynn and said, you know, man, I need this? Nah. You know, I didn't feel comfortable. Um, really? I didn't feel comfortable calling Lynn and being like, yo, can you link me with John? You know, because I knew this is Lynn's baby and this is. They have to have their process. Yeah. And they, you know, they have to have their due process. And I said, I got a team. If my team can't do it, then, then yeah, I might have to hit Lynn on the side and be like, yo, my man, please. But how'd you get to John Chu? So my team set it up. And where'd you meet him? I met him at a, like a breakfast spot right by where he used to live in West Hollywood. And did, so did you fly out for that meeting? Or were you already out I here? was already out there. You were already out there, okay. And um, I sat with him. I said, first I showed up to his house, and then... I met his wife and his, you know, I met Willow, who was very, very young at the time. Um, his daughter. And um, was Willow born? I think Willow was born already. I, I read about this, and he said when you walked out the door, he knew you were the guy. It was wild. It was like, and then, like, we we sat there, and we just shared stories, like, for an hour and a half almost two hours we were sitting there. So it was organic. And it was just so organic. And I just, I never connected with a director like that. Really? You know, it's, um, I just felt this energy with this dude. And I was like, yo, fuck, man. If I feel like if we do this shit together, this shit going to be crazy. And, and, like, and you know, it, it, the movie was unbelievable. First of all, when the trailer came out, I sent it to everybody. I went, holy shit, look at this thing. This is the most insane thing I've ever... It looked like a Busby Berkeley musical from the 1930s or 40s, you know? Yeah. And then COVID hits. Right. And it gets delayed. 
And then it finally comes out, but it's split between theaters, which nobody was going to, and then it goes on uh, right. streaming and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, it didn't become the massive hit that we all thought it was going to become. Yeah. How does that affect you? Because there was so much press. You were everywhere, man. Yeah. And they couldn't have promoted that show more. But, you know, there was this little thing called a pandemic that was screwing up everybody's lives. So, I mean, what's the, what's the reaction to the, oh, my God, it was going to be a $100 million movie, and I think we so far they've done $29 million or something like that? I think, you know, the thing about it is, is like, I think financially, you know, if, you, if you're talking about financials, then yeah, okay, it, it wasn't the hit that everybody wanted it to be, but a lot of people have seen the show. Oh, hell yeah. And like... They can't. That's the thing about streaming. Like you don't really know. Like you don't know the optics. You don't. Nobody knows the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't know that shit. But like I'm finding out. Yeah, walking down the street. Fucking, you know, I'm at the AMAs last night, and Bobby Brown is like, "Yo, my man, (laughs) you mean a lot to my kids." Oh man. I'm like, then they really only got two. There's only two movies that I think I've done that made Trolls World Tour, but nobody saw me at shit. You know what I mean? Like, right. people don't even know I was that in, the wasn't sh- it. in that shit. No. Like, it was either they saw Hamilton or they saw In the Heights. And a lot of people, more people than I thought, you know, like, being like, yo, In the Heights, In the Heights, In the Heights, In the Heights. Yeah. A lot of Latinos especially, like, yeah. yo, In the Heights, you In the Heights, we so proud of you. Like It was so real. And what about the, uh, let me use this, uh, the most technical term, the bullshit uh, <laughs> the that... Bullshit. <laughs> Everybody took, especially Lynn, about the casting. I got so I got mad at Cheetah Rivera, I think it was, who first came out and said uh, everything's fine, and then she apologized for what she said. And you know what? Nobody's done more for ethnic people than Lynn Manuel Miranda. Has anybody seen Hamilton? For God's sakes! So why do you think all that shit came down? Because you know people weren't lying. Like it's the truth. Like the lead roles, all of us were light skinned and I think you know. Um, but doesn't the best person get the job? Uh, well, you know, theoretically, right? But, but you know, there is a there is still, you know, I think if if you know, there's there are ways to be like, okay, if this we specify if this character is Afro Latino, this one's gotta be this kind of, uh, you know, like th- th- it's the same way where they like this role's Caucasian, this role's African American, this role, and I think you know, like. I think that was what people were like, yo, we just want to see everybody yeah, but in the I, lead roles, you know? And I I don't blame them. And, and, and to be honest, Washington Heights is a predominantly Afro-Latino neighborhood, right? right? It's Dominican. Um, but, but specifically, right, there's a lot of, like, you know, fair to dark-skinned people in in Washington Heights. It's, and it's a real place. Yes. So yes. if this was a made-up place, right? You could do anything. I don't think people could say anything. Right. There's nothing people could say. But because this is a real place, and these are real people being represented, meaning the people in that community, I understood the outcry. I understood the frustration. You know, so um, so in that way, you know, when people ask me about it, I'm like, you can't, you can't, I'm not going to say and deny it. Like, yeah. That's the that's a fact. Everybody was light skinned. Could the cat? Could the, the could the uh, um, principal cast have been? You know, because the ensemble cast was very diverse. But could the principal cast have been more diverse? Yeah, you know, yeah, we could have been. But I think you know, I think Lynn did what anybody. You know, I mean, I don't know, but you know, he they, he just they picked who they picked for the roles and and. You know, and I think we all made we all we all made a movie that we're proud of. We did. It's an know, amazing movie. But, you know. But yeah, but I, but I don't I don't necessarily disagree. Really. With, with the people, I don't I don't disagree, and and um. That's fascinating. But I think, 
but I, I don't think what what I will say is that is that um, I, I'm still very proud of the movie we you should made. Should be and worked and, your ass uh, off, you know, and um, you know, and I know a lot of people that are very um, very happy that we that it exists. A friend of mine as a Broadway producer, and uh, I was invited to the opening of Groundhog Day. And at the end of the show, he came up to me and said, can I talk to you for a second? I said, yeah. He goes, uh, we've had some complaints. I said, about what? He said, uh, did it disturb you that the female lead was black? And I said, I didn't I didn't notice that she was black. He goes, what? I go, uh, no, I didn't, I didn't see that. And he goes, yeah, well, some people are really upset about that. And I'm thinking, okay, it was, what, it was four or five years ago. You know, it, it's 2018, 2019. People are upset about that. I'm watching uh, NBC promos about uh, they're doing Annie during Christmas, and they have a black Annie. Are people supposed to get upset about that? I mean, the world is freaking nuts. And as a performer, how do you deal with that? I think you just, as a performer, you just do what moves you and do what feels right. And if people, like, have something to say about what you do, I mean, you you have no control over... No! You have, I have no control over anything beyond the work that I do, right? Like, that's for me. Right, like this is the first Transformers. Like I'm, I'm in Transformers now. I'm the lead of the one of the biggest franchises in the world. Yep. And I'm a Puerto Rican dude from New York. You know what I mean? Like I ain't Shia LaBeouf. I ain't Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Shout out to both of them. You know what I mean? Amazing actors. But I'm not that. Yeah. I'm not Haley Steinfeld. Why'd you get the job? I, I think Stephen just believed in me, and Stephen saw something in me, and he saw something in me that he wanted to have. Uh, you know be a, a pivotal part of this story. So know? if some people complain about, well, why did you put this Puerto Rican kid in that role? And Dominique is African-American from yeah. New York. We both from Brooklyn. We both from the hood in New York. Like, she she knows she not Megan Fox. She ain't the other shorty, the other chick that replaced Megan Fox, you know, in the other one. She's not, you know, she's not any of the, like, this is, this is, you know, we got Tobin Wigway, you know, the, the incredible rapper, you know, from Houston. Like, this is definitely a different Transformers. It's people revolutionary see. in many ways. You know what I'm saying? But we took a white franchise, and yep. you know, and Stephen, even Stephen Cable Jr., half Puerto Rican, half black from you know from Ohio. Like yo, you know what I mean? Like he, he's Stephen got a vision, you know, and 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 we we we're so excited about this movie, not only because of that, but because of like yo, we're bringing some shit to this franchise nobody ever seen. I don't care what anybody says. This movie's about to fucking be the craziest shit, <laughs> craziest Transformers <laughs> movies, and anybody ever seen. And so and you were in life. Montreal, and then where were you? Somewhere we in South America. We were in Montreal, and we were in Peru. Peru for how long? Um, we were in Peru for about seven weeks. Were they, you in the jungles and stuff? Yeah, we were in Machu Picchu. Nobody ever gets to shoot a Machu Picchu. No. And Machu what Picchu was, was like? like our backyard. You oh, know, man. we shot in Machu Picchu, and then we went to Tarapoto to the jungle. And we were like on the outskirts of the Amazon. I mean, like this shit was crazy. Where like, did you stay? Uh, we stayed at this hotel called the Toucan. <laughs> the <laughs> and, Toucan Suites. It, it probably wasn't the Four Seasons. No, was it? it was not the Four Seasons. <laughs> but like it was, you know, like that experience was so special. And then to like be in Peru and to feel that vibe. Like Peru is a special, beautiful, mystical place. And if you've never been there, I, hundred percent, am like you need to go there and um you know it was like it was just so amazing to just feel the culture and to like you know like we didn't we didn't create peru somewhere else we went there you yeah know, we felt cool. the pulse we felt the people we felt the music we felt the 
the country, you know, and, and what That's was important. a blessing was we had their support. So I guess what I'm saying to you is that like you have to just make the thing that means a lot to you. And and then after it comes out, people will form opinions about it. And, then you know, and then what you do is if genuinely in your heart, you're like, you know what? Yeah, I could have done that better. Then you do that better the next time. Right. But if you know, but if there's people have opinion about some shit that you're like, nah, fuck that. I killed that shit. You're crazy. <laughs> then that, then you stand your ground on that shit, too. You know, but but that's the beauty about art. Right. You know, yeah. you make a painting and people have they then it becomes theirs and they now have the opportunity to interpret it in whatever way they want because it's not for you anymore. It doesn't belong, and eyes doesn't belong to us anymore. It belongs to the world. But the world is so different. When I started doing stand-up in 1976, you could go out there and say and do anything, and now I see Chappelle getting his head cut off yeah. for things that he said. And sure. it's like, you know, in stand-up, you know, if you go back to the Lenny Bruce's and the people, the George Carlin's, who were able to comment on the world, but right. all of a sudden now you're not allowed to comment on the world because you might hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I don't like this world right now, you know? It's, it's an, uncomfortable for an older guy like me who felt that you could say and do almost anything, and right. now all of a sudden the creative process is being pulled back, in my opinion, because of other people who don't want to get their feelings hurt it's tough to navigate for sure at times you know it is um definitely you know and i think you know everybody has you know everyone's feels different about i think at the end of the day it's like in your heart you're like yo if i feel like this is right i'm gonna stand by it if i feel like this is wrong i'm a i'm a i'm i'm gonna stand by it i'm gonna stand by the, the fact that i feel like this is wrong or this is right. This is how I felt. This is what I said. I'm not taking it back. I'm not sorry for what the fuck I said. And that's it. Y'all got to deal with that yeah, shit. deal with it. Exactly. Y'all can have whatever fucking opinion you want. Yeah, I said that shit in my song. Yeah, I said that shit in that thing. <laughs> I said it. So what the fuck you want to do? <laughs> my wife, whenever I say deal with it, she gets so angry with me. But you know? that's how I feel sometimes, you know? Just just accept it. But I, I think, gotta, yeah, I, as long as we're not trying to hurt people, and we, exactly. you know what I mean? We're not trying to... Not intentionally. You know, as long as we're not trying to, you know, do damage and hurt people and... and I think I think you know everything's up for interpretation. Got a couple more things, but I briefly tell me the story about uh, the audition for uh, Hamilton because you were going in for a commercial, weren't you? Nah, I was going in for another musical that um, I was not right for, but I just <laughs> went in for it because. And didn't somebody say there's something over there? I mean, how'd that whole thing happen? That same casting director was uh, was was casting Hamilton at the time, and that same casting director was like, "Yeah, nah, not for this thing," but you. You're really, you know, we'd like to call you in for this thing called Hamilton's Mixtape. And I was like, Hamilton's Mixtape, what the fuck is that? And I'm looking at the thing. And I was like, oh, Lin-Manuel wrote this. Oh, Tommy Kale, the same guys that did in the Heights. Everybody, everybody's same same team. I was like, damn, so this shit might be fly. And I'm listening to the music and I'm like, yo, this shit is crazy. <laughs> it was. And um, and then I asked one of my friends about it. I'm like, yo, have you heard about this thing? He's like, yo, you need to absolutely go in for that. I was like, I should, right? He's like, yes. My boy Alan, my boy Alan Green. We was do, we were doing a Radio City Music Hall at the time. I was I was. A, a, oh, that was a show that never opened, right? That was a show that never opened. <laughs> the show that got canceled a week before previews. <laughs> I remember this. And um, uh, it was like the equivalent of the Christmas Spectacular, but for spring, uh, called Heart and Lights, and we we nicknamed it. We call it Broken Hearts and Shattered Lights. <laughs> It never shit, made I, it, right? Never made it. Never didn't made you, it to the uh, stage. Didn't you tour with um, oh, Damn Yankees? I did. I, I toured what with part Damn did Yankees. you do that? 
I just uh, I just played one of the baseball guys. The I, I guys love that. The, uh, oh, it's, some, it's funny going back to baseball. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but yeah, that's uh, but yeah, I, I auditioned for Hamilton. I went to the open open audition. I had no agent, no nothing, and I went up in there and I sang uh, "Grenade" by Bruno Mars. I never forget it. And love then, Bruno Mars. And then she goes, uh, Bethany Knox was the casting director. She goes, oh, I see you doing Radio City right now, which was a, it's a grueling schedule. If anybody knows, it's like a twelve to sixteen shows a week. She's like, I don't know how we're going to make this work, but you're really right for this, so I'm going to call you back. I was like, okay, cool. She calls me back. I do my last, I keep getting called back. I finally do my last audition. I go to work at Radio City, and there's a sign on the board that goes, <laughs> everyone, please don't bother signing in. Please meet us all, p- please meet at in the large rehearsal hall upstairs. And I was like, I think we're fired. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you know, it was almost like a movie. Like you fucking see the frantic person <laughs> running from the side of the stage, crying, bawling. And then I said, "Oh, we're for sure fired." <laughs> and I go upstairs, and uh, and yeah, sure enough, it's uh, it done. They were like, "Yo, uh, show's not ready. Uh, it was getting postponed a year." And I postponed meant for most of us like you ain't coming back. Nah. And um, so damn Yankees was there, huh? No. So so Hamilton. Oh, was then there. Hamilton came in. And oh, then, so, and then they, I get a call, bro. It was crazy because we all drinking up all the alcohol and all the fridges and shit, you know, <laughs> and then fucking having a party in the girls' dressing room, and you know, it was like we all fired. So let's like go out with a bang, and you know, a couple hours after we got that, that um, uh, that info, the news. I get a call from Bethany from that casting director. She's like, yo, we heard about Heart and Lights. We'd love for you to be a part of Hamilton's mixtape. And this was when it was still in the developmental stage. Whoa. And and then I, I kept growing with the show, and that's how I made it off Broadway and then to Broadway. And then... How did that show change your life at 22? Huge, man. I mean, huge. That was massive. Yeah. That was just insane. The energy in that theater when you would walk in. And I, I didn't know what to expect. I listened to the music I tried to before, and I had a hard time listening to it. And I thought, well, I may be the only human in the world who's not going to like this show. And in like three minutes, I was so hooked. Mm. It, it was just like, oh my God, I have never seen. You know, first show I saw was 1966, 67. I saw Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. I was like a kid of 13 or 14 years old. And, you know, I had seen so much theater in my life, but I never saw anything like that mm. in my life. I don't know if you remember this. We were supposed to meet <laughs> backstage. And I went backstage, and and uh, there was no Anthony Ramos. Do you remember this? You were oh, you were in shit. You were right. in Brooklyn doing some music or something that was night. I, yeah. Was I? Yeah, yeah. You you went. You said, "Oh man, shit, man. I'm uh, I'm in a recording session. I'm sorry." He said, "I'll come back." And I said, "No." But I hung out with Lynn for a while, so that was fun. Oh you know? shit! That's crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about getting your driver's license uh, Yo, finally, recently, bro. How, why? How? What? What was that about? Yo, so Transformers. They like, yo, we they got this car. We want you, you know, in case you got to drive in the movie. We'd really like for him to get his license. I was like, bro, <laughs> y'all want me to get my license right now? <laughs> you live in New York. You don't need a license. I was like, so, I was like, shit, how the fuck am I going to get my license right now? <laughs> and because it's even hard to get an appointment oh. for the driver's test because of COVID. Oh, I didn't know that. Like, it had been, shit's backed up. So yeah. people are like fiending to get in and, 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 get, and take the driving test to get their license. And... I was like, I don't, I'm like, I gotta figure out a way to get an appointment. Thank God my managers helped me. They, they were just on it, on it, on it, on it. I got, I got one appointment. So I was coming back into New York for In the Heights premiere. 
Oh. So I had a two-week window to get this license before I went back to Canada to start shooting Transformers. And I because I had already been practicing driving, but I hadn't gotten the license yet. So I started taking lessons again. Like it was crazy. Like every time I was about to do it, Something I had happened. to leave for a movie. I had to leave for to record. I had to do some shit that set me back a little bit. And then it was almost like I was starting over. Almost, but you know. Um, but then it was like, you know, I was like, all right, I got, I got to do this. I got to try and do this. They get me one appointment. Like, and I hear mad stories of people be like, I failed the first time. I failed the first three times. I passed on the fourth one, shit like that. And I was like, God, I cannot. I failed the fourth. <laughs> To fail, I can't afford to fail any time. Were you more nervous doing this or auditioning for a Broadway show? I was more nervous about my driver's <laughs> license than I was auditioning for any show ever in my life. And I was like, yo, please, God. And I get in this car, and the woman is so cold. Really? <laughs> yo. And I think, you know, maybe that's a job. There's no emotional. Like, hey, what's up? You know, nice day out, right? Bop, 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 small talk. I'm Didn't just care, like, huh? All right, and just... Just focus. I pull out. I used my mom's car. Uh, and uh, you know, she's like, make a left here, make a left there. <laughs> she said, uh, finally, you know, I parked. That was, I was nervous about that. Parked, killed it. Thank God. And then I get out. I get out of the spot. So, okay. Okay. She's like, okay, pull out. Okay. So, you know, she writing her notes on her thing. Finally, we pull into the thing. She's like, she's like, um, your driving's fine, but don't forget to check your blind spots. <laughs> and you passed. And I said, so, so does this mean I, I passed? Does this mean I got my license? She's like, yeah, that was it. She just nods her head, yeah. <laughs> and I just go crazy. Yes, yes. You become Thank you. Again, man. This is you mentioned your mom. Tell me what your mom means to you. Oh man, she's my mom means everything to me. You know, nobody knows me more than my mother. You know, I think my mom knows me at the core, right? Like. Um, as an adult, we're always, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I think as we grow, we change, right? We mm -hmm. change character traits and things, you know, you communicate better, you communicate worse, you, you like a certain thing when you're younger, you don't like it anymore when you're older, but I think at the core of me, like when my mother looks into my eyes, she, she knows my mom is the, the champion at, like, she's the fucking like no one knows me more than her when it comes to like they can look at me and she knows if I'm happy or sad. Like she can just see it. Like truly, even if I'm sad, she's like he's happy. You know, like but even if I look happy, she's like no, he's really sad. There's a uh, commercial I always kid you about. Uh, was it Crown Royal? Crown Royal. My mom's in it. <laughs> Your yeah. mom's in that thing, and I always call you when that thing pops up, and I go, you know, check the bank account because that's it, baby. Got <laughs> the check. Little... You bought her her first, or what? Or you bought her a I car? I bought her a car. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. online, which is a way cool thing, man. Yeah, yeah. I really love that. Uh, a couple other things I want to get out of here. Um, when you started your career, people were telling you to become more mainstream, grow your hair out, talk differently, yeah. all this stuff. How did you deal with that? I mean, did you say, screw it, I'm going to be who I am? Or did you say, well, maybe I should do this? Yeah, at first I was like, maybe I should do this. I want to work, you know? So, yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was a thing about uh, looking ethnically ambiguous, right? Your eyes are green, you got freckles, you're light skin. You, if you grow your hair out, nobody's going to know where you're from. They won't know. You're Italian. You're really? This, you're that. Are you this? Are you that? No one's going to, are you, are you Latino? Are you not? Are you half this? Are you half that? Like, that's what people kept saying, you know, especially teachers. And, and, and I'd be like, okay, cool. Let me, 
let me give it a shot, you know. And and to be honest, I used to be upset at them, but I'm like, I think they were just trying to find a way for me to work, you know. And mm. that was the way they thought yeah. that I was gonna work, right? Um, but I had a moment where I was like, nah, fuck that. You yeah, but know? not everybody can do that. Nah, but you know, I had to, cause I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna speak a certain type of way. I'm not gonna do, I'm, if I grow my hair out, it's cause I wanna grow my hair out. And right. I only really was growing my hair out cause I wanted braids. Right. So I was like, I always wanted braids. I never got the shits, I want braids. So I grew my shit out and then eventually Hamilton started happening. So they were like, keep growing your hair. I was like, great, I was already growing it out. You know, and, and then, you know, she's gotta have it happen. I worked with Spike Lee and then I got to actually braid my hair the way I wanted to. And I had all these crazy fire, dope ass braids. That was all a fun the time. show. Yeah. And and uh, you know, and, and it was like, but eventually at the and I remember Lynn saying this to me too one time. He said Lynn was like, Bro, I said I cracked a joke one time and I was a little insecure about how I, what I said or how I said it rather. I was like, Man, I think I talk too hard sometimes, man. I gotta change the way I speak. And Lynn goes, you don't need to change the way you speak, Papa. You just need to make sure people understand you. And that shit sticks with me forever. You know, because I'm like, it's so true. You know, I used to feel like insecure about the fact that I sound like I'm from the hood in New York. And people have this perception of like, oh, if you from the hood, you know, like, like, you know, because instinctually, right? Like, if you know, people... If people like, oh, he, if he from the hood, he got this like, this vernacular that sounds like it's slang, it's slang. So slang is associated with uneducated sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, not true. You crazy? Like y'all gonna find out that I'm, if not, I'm one of the smartest people in this room. And I'm not gonna prove that to you. You're gonna find out. And I'm not gonna change the way I speak. I'm not gonna change the way, I'm not gonna switch out. I'm gonna come in here with jeans and sneakers and I'm gonna come in here with whatever. I'm gonna come in here with my fitted hat and y'all gonna see. And you're gonna see, I'm an actor, I shape shift, I could do whatever, right? But I'm not gonna change who I am so that I can convince you or prove to you that I'm elite at my job. You know what I'm saying? And I had to, I had to tell myself that, like, yo, bro, you ain't gotta switch nothing up. Just be the best at your job. Be that dude. Be that person that when you walk in the room, they're like, yo, this motherfucker, we can't deny his ass. One of the most fun days I had, I was in New York and called you one day and you said, hey, we're doing some recording. Come over to the studio. And I sat there for three hours. I'd never seen that before. What a process that is. Because you were writing while you were performing and... uh, People don't realize how long that takes. You just don't walk in and start doing it. You know, the work that goes behind it it goes back to your work ethic. Um, You may be the most likable human on the planet. Um, (laughs) And and, and that's coming true now in so many different ways. Um, I'm going to wrap this up by saying, and I'm going to get all misty-eyed here for two seconds, but one of the most amazing things you ever did, let's see if I can get through this. Um, You were backstage when I was doing the tour, uh, the Double Dare tour, and you said, you know I've had cancer on and off for 10, 12 years. And, mm. and you said to me, how you doing? I said, and I wasn't doing good at the time. I had gone through some more chemo and stuff. And you took everybody in that room, and you prayed for me, man. Mm. Um, and you sounded like a for real minister. I mean, I don't know where those words came from, but they were authentic, and they were touching. And um, I called my wife afterwards, and I said, the most amazing thing just happened. And that's who you are. Um, you take your background and you uh, apply it to everyday life. 
You take your experiences that many of us have never had, and you use them for roles, but also in your everyday life, the judgments that you make on people. Um, you're wise beyond your years. I cannot thank you enough for doing this for me today. You opened up and I think said some things that may uh, shock people, change people. But what would you tell the, the person who wants to be either in this business or any business and constantly is told they can't do it? How do you overcome that? Well, you know, I love you, man, first, first of all. And, and uh, you know, I pray with you any day of the week. You know what I mean? But um, and uh, and I guess um, I guess what I would say is uh, I don't know, man. Just like you, you can't give up. You just can't give up. You gotta fucking you gotta keep going. Like no matter what life throws at you, and I know that sounds cliche, but you know you you're gonna mess up. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna fail. You're gonna People gonna people gonna think ill of you sometimes or whatever. People gonna have an opinion about what you decided to do or whatever. Or call you crazy when you have big dreams or you do something that seems crazy to everyone else but feels so right inside of you. Like, like, you have to just like have faith, have faith in, in something greater than you, you know, and, and and have faith in yourself and and like. You have to you have to dare to dream that big. You know, like I think sometimes, most times, I think we're so scared. The thing we're scared of the most are our dreams. Cause we're like, whoa, that could never happen. Whoa, that's scary. I can't imagine getting that. I can't imagine what would happen if that happened to me. I can't imagine. But what if it did? What would you do? And even if you don't know what you would do, just dream it. Just see it believe it do it let people call you crazy let people you know and and it's like you lead with love and you work hard and you just see what happens you just see what happens just see what happens give yourself a chance to see what happens you know what i mean but it's like i just you know i i guess i tell people you know anyone anyone i get the chance to to say this to i'll be like yo just like think of the craziest shit you 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 you've always wanted to do and do it or try at least the yeah. thing that you like man I w this would be the most incredible thing if I could get that you know if I could love a person like this or if I could feel love like this or if I could get this kind of job you know I don't want to work this job anymore I want to quit because this has always been my dream then you know what do it just fucking do it no doesn't mean no and as I always like to say the harder you work the luckier you get yeah I love you, my friend. Thank I you for doing you more, this. Man. All right. Thanks Mark Summers unwrapping Anthony Ramos. Stay tuned for more coming up next week. Mark Summers Unwraps is a production of Believe Limited, created by me, Mark Summers, and Jessica Richmond. Produced by Keith Corneluck and Jessica Richmond. Executive produced by Patrick James Lynch and Ryan Geelan. Post production support from Joshua Sterling Bragg and Believe Limited. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you really love it, why don't you leave us a rating and a review? Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Mark Summers Unwraps.